Good morning. Good morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Welcome to Easter Sunday worship at Shepherd of the Lakes. The service is outlined for you in its entirety in the service folder. We'll begin with our opening hymn, number 149. And if there were any other children that wanted to help in the Alleluia banners, you can gather at the back. Maybe, um, maybe 
from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, writing 700 years before the resurrection, he says that the struggle of death will be destroyed forever. Isaiah writes, On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all peoples a banquet of rich food, a banquet of aged wines with the best cups of meat and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that covers all people, the burial cloth stretched over all nations. He has swallowed up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face. He will take away the shame of his people throughout the earth, for the Lord has spoken. On that day, it will be said, Look, here is our God. We waited for him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. We continue our choral anthem, which is actually hymn number 150. The congregation will be invited to join in verses 2 and 4.
for this Easter Sunday comes from Paul's great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus Christ, the first fruits from death. If our hope in Christ applies only to this life, we are the most pitiful people of all. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came by a man, the resurrection of the dead also is going to come by a man. For as in Adam they all die, so also in Christ they all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and then Christ's people at his coming. That comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has done away with every other ruler and every other authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be done away with. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Alleluia, alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Alleluia. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading from Mark chapter 16, the resurrection. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they could go and anoint Jesus. Very early on the first day of the week at sunrise, they went to the tomb. They were saying to each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and hurried away from the tomb, trembling and perplexed. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus.
Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We consider briefly our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as we begin today, I'd like you to consider. Do you think that the lives of your children or grandchildren will be better than yours? The world that they grow up in, will it be better than the one you grew up in? Will it be safer, happier, fill in the blank? 1516, a churchman named Sir Thomas More wrote a book positing that very idea, holding out the thought, the hope, the truth, or so he thought, the truth and the thought that perhaps, perhaps if society would just get their, their act in place, and the right plan in place, and follow that plan, then perhaps they could have the perfect society, the utopia. He proposed this society where there was no disease, no worries, where there were no poor because they were well taken care of, where there was maximal happiness and not a care in the world. And people bought. People bought into the idea, and you might say, I would propose, they still do. And how foolish of us to do so. But they buy into the idea that if only... If only we have the right plan and we follow the right plan, then, finally, we will attain our utopia. And at the dawn of the 20th century, people thought it had arrived. People thought it had arrived, and we look back and perhaps we chuckle, but put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. Technology had made worldwide travel at blazing speeds possible. Communication had grown by leaps and bounds. There was this thing called a telephone, and soon to be a radio. Technology was progressing rapidly. Medicine was progressing nearly as rapidly, and the invention of penicillin was only just around the corner. Diseases were on their way out, it seemed. And with the economy booming, the cities bustling, it seemed that perhaps... Perhaps society in the world was on the verge and the cusp of that promised utopia. Thomas More's idea finally, finally come true. Listen to how a historian who lived through it described that age of hope. We had expected that life throughout the world would become more rational, more humane, and more democratic. We expected that the progress of science and technology would make mankind richer. We had expected that this would all happen peacefully. In fact, we thought that mankind's course was set for an earthly paradise. But the century that dawned with utopian hope soon found itself mired in the Great War, not 14 years later. 14 million dead, 21 million more wounded, and the influenza that was carried from Europe to the rest of the world would kill off nearly 6 million more. Instead of peace and progress, instead of the hope for technology and finally attaining the utopia that was promised, they received the opposite. Instead of peace and progress, everything but. Now perhaps some might say, especially if you've read Thomas More's Utopia, you might say, well, Thomas More, is, he understands this. And he's really kind of writing a satire. 
where he's saying that this utopia isn't an actual place. It is the unattainable place. But how foolish. How foolish that we replicate the same idea, the same pursuit of progress, perfection, peace, wealth, and happiness in this world. And how foolish to think that we, nearly 100 years later, are just so enlightened that we would not have fallen into the same trap that they did. Which kind of brings us back to the opening question. What kind of world will our children inherit? A recent Barna survey, just published this year, talked about Generation Z, or Generation Z for the Canadian among us. That's the, the people born between 1999 and 2018, Generation Z. 1999 to 2018. And the world that they grow up in is very different than the world you and I perhaps grew up in. This is what Barna wrote. They are a generation who grew up with designated safe spaces and trigger-free zones, but it's a generation who thinks that real safety is a myth. Generation Z has never known an America not at war, has never known a threat level not orange, has never known a world where the notion of a bulletproof backpack was absurd. Is it any surprise? Is it any surprise that the predominant themes in the literature produced for these young teens is dystopian? Hunger Games, Divergent, and various other, various other video games or phone games to consume their time, all with themes of, let's say, dystopia. It's a bad world. It's a bad world. What kind of world will they inherit? Well, if you look at their entertainment, it would seem that they think they know. And how far off, really, would they be? Whether we're talking about a generation or, or just your life, the future can seem just as bleak as Generation Z would assert and suppose. The dreams broken, the hopes dashed, the health decaying, the hamster wheel that we've been stuck on for the 70 or 80 years of our life slowly winding down to an eventual stop that we know is coming. And the hope that we have, how did Mark describe it? They went out and hurried away from the tomb, trembling and perplexed. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It looks like the worst April Fool's joke of all time. Where Jesus had said he would be the Messiah, he had promised so much hope, and he had promised his kingdom, where eventually he would reign and the people would bow before him in adoration. And when the ladies get to the tomb to bury him properly... They find that it's empty, and they are so afraid and confused that they are afraid to even whisper the thought. What happened? Does that mean that we cannot find, cannot have peace and hope? Or does that mean that the world our children will inherit is so far removed from our life today that it's barely comprehensible to the mind? Well, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, addresses all that. He said that if this life is all that we've got hope for, we ought to be pitied more than all people. Followers of the greatest spook, the greatest April Fool's joke of all time, but 
But, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the solution of the brokenness of the world because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that God will redeem the brokenhearted, the broken down, through the broken and resurrected body of His Son to restore a, a broken world. You see, Easter Sunday celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but really, for nearly a thousand years, well, closer to 1,500 years, that day had been celebrated by the Old Testament Church. Not as Resurrection Sunday, but as a Sunday they called First Fruits. First Fruits, where they, they looked out over their Mediterranean grain fields, in the Mediterranean climate, and they would see the very first sheaves of grain coming to fruit. And that morning, they would wake up and, and pluck the very, first, the very first plants that cropped up. And they would pluck them and, and take them to the temple as a wave offering. They would wave it before the Lord, and then they would lay it down there. To say that, Lord, you provided the very, very, very first evidence that we're going to have a crop out of this field. And the very first thing that I'm going to do, trusting that you're going to follow through with the rest of that, I'm going to give this back to you. The first fruits. And they have been celebrating that for 1,400 years. So you see, the first fruit, you get a picture, the first fruit is the promise of more to come. And the confidence that God will follow through on his promise of more to come. And so when Jesus rose from the dead on the festival of the first fruits, Paul says that that guarantee is something that is absolutely trustworthy. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To say, Jesus Christ, the one raised from the dead with his very body and soul, joined back together in a glorified manner, this Jesus Christ is proof that all the dead will rise. Just like taking the first crop off the field is proof that the rest of the crop is going to spring up. The first fruits is the guarantee that something has fundamentally changed. In this dystopian world, this dystopian world of sin and death and pain, this dystopian world of warfare and worry, Jesus says, and Paul points, here's the first fruits. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. No matter how broken our lives may be and seem, the resurrection is the guarantee of better things to come. So in order to understand our present, Paul takes us to the past, and he also fast-forwards us to the future. When he says, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. If you don't go to the beginning, you misunderstand the problem. I mean, if you don't look ahead at the end, then you misunderstand the solution. Death came through a man. Adam. The very first person that God created, whose name was just the man. Because <laughs> there was no other man, right? Death came through a man. God said, obey me, follow me, worship me. And Adam truly said, yeah, you're God, and I'm not. But instead, Adam ate the forbidden fruit. And instead of the, the life of peace and joy and harmony that he then enjoyed... He lost that. 
and brought in a world of dystopia into the utopia that God had created. A world of sin and death and pain. And ever since, ever since God, ever since Adam ate from that fruit, all of us in Adam's image have borne that same dystopia, that same death. You know what? I know it. The flip of the calendar reveals it. Another birthday bears it out. Uh, another gray hair somewhere up there reminds us of the fact that the hourglass will run out and that it's not just some accident of biology, but that it's the wage, the paycheck for a life of sin. Don't have to look too far to find brokenness and despair. But some might say, well, okay, okay, Pastor Hagen, you are saying that, but you've got a church full of people, and they're good people. Or the flip side, perhaps you've heard, well, church is full of hypocrites. Well, actually not. The church is full of broken people. And Jesus came to heal brokenness. You see, here's the most astounding thing that we broken people need to hear. Are you ready? The fundamental truth about Christianity isn't that God loves the good people. The fundamental truth is that God found a way to love the broken people. And in his in his divine wisdom, he devised a plan. A plan that said, people have been broken through the death of a man, and so people will be put back together, have their sin forgiven, and be restored to a relationship with God through the death and resurrection of another man. We, we messed it up, true? And the messed up part isn't just the, the marker and terrorism out there, but it's the heart here. And Jesus came to bear our sin. Yours and mine. And to bury it in the tomb. And to rise from the dead to guarantee, as his rock-solid guarantee, that your sin has been forgiven. That your life has been restored. That your brokenness will be healed. If not today, then at the last day. All to say, dear friend, to a broken world, God presents a broken tombstone. A broken rock, broken free from the front of a grave. The broken body of Jesus restored to glory. Reunited body and soul. And so, the memories that you carry, the, the guilt that you bear, set it down. It's buried with Jesus. The worries that you have, the regrets that you remember, push them aside. Not, not as some sort of feel good, this is the positive thought for today, but because Jesus really truly has carried sin. And he has promised that that sin has been forgiven, and he has promised to, to heal every single bit of brokenness in your life and mine. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We couldn't fix the brokenness of life by trying to hold the pieces together. And God didn't fix the brokenness in our lives by holding out some conditional promise. If you do X, Y, Z, then God will. But he said, here's my son. 
for you. You know you're going to die. My son died for you. You know that my son rose, and so you also will rise from the dead. And so we look back, but we also look ahead to what Paul calls the end. He says that as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That when Jesus when Jesus came back alive and descended into hell and then showed himself visibly to his disciples on earth, he really did break the power of death. As one cartoonist put it, well, Jesus descended into hell. Really? Yeah. He went there to cancel your reservation. See, Easter is the promise of the day that God promises to fix all the broken pieces, all the mistake, every single bit of worry, regret, grief, and pain, even as Isaiah talked about, wiping every single tear from our eyes. We may not see it today, we may not see it even with our own eyes this side of the grave, but the festival of first fruits and the resurrection from the dead is the guarantee that you will. That you will. So as the new dawn dawned on that Easter morning, an age of hope, based not on how we feel today or how we think we measure up to God, but hope, based entirely on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if you look at your life right now and perhaps wonder what is this world going to be like for our kids, will it be worse? Well, certainly yes. What about my own life and my own failed dreams or regrets or griefs? All that, all that Christ promises, that your sin has been forgiven and that your grief will be healed. Absolutely rock-solid promise. The promise of a broken tombstone for a broken world, for broken people. God presents the broken Son of God who broke open the tomb to wash away your sin and guarantee that He alone is the first fruits, the beginning of the best which is yet to come. Christ is risen. Please rise. I direct your attention to the exact center of your worship folder, where you will find our sung confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed, Sons of the Tomb, Home to Joy.
And I invite you to also check out our community practice as printed on the purple sheet in your view.
We give thanks for all those who have died and now lived with Christ in the triumph of Easter, especially our own faithful departed loved ones. Unite us with them in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Hear us, Lord, as we bring your private petition. And we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. I invite you to turn to page 21 in the very first portion of your writing book. <coughs> and on page 21, we'll continue with the sacrament prayer. The Lord be with you.
one of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Take and drink. This is the true of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Take and drink. Now may this new body of love our Savior strengthen and preserve you in the true faith until life everlasting. In part of peace with God, sins forgive. Amen.
In your loving kindness, you sent your Son to share our humanity. We thank you that through him you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. We also pray that you will not forsake us, but will rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, so that we willingly serve you day after day through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace.